Isaías. Hey, hey. For each one of them, I want to leave folks with kind of the story about them that has a place in my heart forever, that has, you know, kind of etched themselves um, into my hall of fame, if you will. And for my uncle, um, here's that story. My mother bought a home on 187th and Harvard when I was about four years old. Um... And she was a single black woman, a homeowner. She made good money. Um, And she had this house. Being the only child, I had anything that you could ask for. I had a Barbie car in the 90s. I had three copies of The Lion King, VHS. I had every, you know, Barney tape and Barney spinoff. I had a princess bedroom. We had a front yard and a backyard and a Idelia Park was right down the street, if you know about Lee Harvard. Um, and so, you know, I was living the, you know, four, five, six-year-old dream. But I had uh, a father, a biological father, who was not quite in my life. Um, sometimes he would pop up, sometimes not at all. But his family had made a decision to not be in my life at all. So much so that I wouldn't be able to tell you my father's mother's name or their father's name. I could get it, but it it just gives you an example of just how far out of scope that side of, you know, my my father's family was for me. Um, And I did not know his siblings or anything about his family Um, And I really still don't. I know a little bit more now as an adult, but at that time, I just knew that they existed. I knew that they lived very close by, so close that they lived exactly one block away from my mother's new house. And ironically, the address of my father's mother's house or his relative's house was the same exact address as my mother's new house, but it was just two different streets. And so as a little girl, I'm on this bike um, and my uncle is sitting on the front porch and he tells me I can ride my bike around the corner and I can come back. He's there. They have music playing through the front window. He's just doing whatever I guess you do without an iPhone in 95 or 96 Um, (laughs) and uh, probably smoking a cigarette or something. And he's sitting on the front steps and I ride around the corner on my bike and um, I have decided I'm gonna go to this family house and see I I don't know as adult Leah what little Leah was thinking I don't know if my goal was to get them to open the door or I really don't know but I've always been nosy a better way to say it is inquisitive Um, and I knew that they existed I also knew that there was some tension there I know for a fact even when I was little I couldn't understand why they didn't want to be in my life, uh, not in a um, pompous way, but because I had this family, my mother and my grandfather and my grandmother and my aunts and my uncle that were so close, I couldn't understand that I had, you know, both sides of the spectrum. I had aunts who wanted nothing to do with me and I had aunts who I couldn't get off of me, right? (laughs) So I couldn't understand. So I wanted to go and figure it out. Um, I'm very much so about getting to the bottom of things even now. So, again, I ride this bike around the corner to the same exact address one street away. Um, I remember approaching the driveway. I remember seeing someone in the front window. I remember the curtains kind of rustling closed. 
and it just broke my heart now to their defense I don't know if they knew who I was I don't know if um they knew why I was there I don't even know if they closed the curtains or if the window was open and the curtains just you know shifted a little bit I don't know but I remember feeling hurt and I remember getting back on my bike crying riding back around the corner and by the time I'm pedaling to the house my uncle has jumped off all three steps of the porch down to the front yard and he very much so has his uncle bear uh voice on what happened who did it what what's wrong why are you crying did you fall are you okay you know the list the litany of questions uh you know in my huff and puff voice tell him what i did and tell him what i saw and tell him how i felt and whether you think it's right or wrong um my uncle said to me that day don't you ever go back over there to the house you're a hackney and that's it you understand me you don't need shit over there from that house you're a hackney and he wiped my tears I sniffled my little snot I dried my eyes and I never went back around that corner and what my uncle did for me that day (laughs) I'm so sorry but it still brings me to tears What my uncle did for me that day freed me. As an adult, I hear so many stories and you watch, you know, things on TV about, you know, a lot of young people sitting in the window waiting for their father, sitting in the window waiting for them to come and pick them up and do things and just be present. And my uncle on that day told me, girl, let it go forget about it he said to me what I don't believe my mother had the courage to say to me he said to me what I don't believe my grandmother had the courage to look a little girl in the face and say he said to me what nobody else in the family was gonna say because he was the youngest and he felt indebted to me in that way and he freed me from being a little girl that was looking out the window or looking into someone else's window hoping that they would pick me. He freed me from that. After that, I never questioned it. I never worried about it. And to this day, I've never missed out on anything. Love, support, encouragement, or belonging. And it set up a trajectory for me to go where you're chosen. And I know for many, it may sound like a crass thing to say to a five or six year old. It may sound like a mean thing to say. You may be wondering, well, what about the other family or what happened as to why they didn't want to or et cetera, et cetera. And I hope you seek the answers that you're looking for. If you're looking for those type of answers. But at the at the center of it, there were adults who were making decisions that concerned a child. My uncle saw it. He saw how it affected me. He told me he told me one thing one time. He didn't accept any questions on it. 
and baby, we moved on. And for that reason, and many others, I have as many bad stories as I have, as many traumatic stories as I have, I have an equal amount of stories where my uncle taught me a life skill that sticks with me today. The last one being, <laughs> quote unquote, inner city survival skills. So um, I'm a part of the generation, Cleveland Public School kids, uh, where, you know, we started watching the news one summer and the announcement was made that the district was in financial distress. And as a way to balance the budget, they were cutting uh, transportation significantly. Um, and so for most children, um, I don't remember all the fine details, but you know, if you were over a certain age and you didn't have any type of, um, disability, et cetera, you were going to have to get on the RTA. Um, and though from my house to my middle school, which was Whitney M. Young, um, which was a blue ribbon school, shout out it from my house to Whitney Young was, I don't know, it's probably two miles away <laughs> driving um, directly there it was two buses away on the bus route you had to catch the 48 and connect to the 15 or you could walk all the way down Tarkington which is a very long street if you know about it and catch the 40 to the 15 or you could catch the 40 up to Lee Harvard and then walk from Lee Harvard to Whitney Young which sometimes we did all this to say, my grandmother was not having it, okay? <laughs> she she didn't think it was funny. She didn't think it was cute. I thought that, you know, this was going to signify how uh, mature I was going to junior high school. Um, and this was right in line um, with what older people do. Older people get on the bus, and so I'm going to get on the bus because the cool kids are going to ride the bus. My grandmother had just decided that I wasn't. Uh, I don't remember her calling my mother. I don't, you know, I was raised in a very uh, <laughs> village style. Um, and sometimes decisions were made. And that was that. My grandma had decided that I wasn't going to do that. And she was retired. And she was just going to drive me to school every single day. And my uncle is home because, you know, he in and out of a job, child. And he's sitting at the table and he's listening and he's hearing me plead my case about you got to let me grow up. I'm in junior high school now. I can get on the bus, blah, blah, blah. And he's watching his mother, my grandmother. And I remember him telling her, Mommy, you're not always going to be able to take her to school. She needs to know how to do it if this is what they're about to do. It's going to be in this. It's going to be this way for a while. And you need to let at least let her learn how to do it, because at some point she's going to have to do it. And I was like, yes, that's my uncle always coming through, talking some sentence to her. Um, and so that that first day of school, she let me catch the bus. <laughs> and what I realized once I got to school, um, she had traded out her burgundy Nissan for a white Nissan Maxima with a personalized plate so she definitely wasn't low at all she apparently had been following the RTA bus that I was on the whole time <laughs> but she wanted to make sure I got there safely but what I remember is after he convinced my grandmother to let me get on the bus when she was not around my uncle told me a few things 
Um, and I'll never forget this conversation. He told me I had a, a Walkman at the time uh, with the headphones. And he said, you can take your Walkman, but you can't play it. Never be outside with headphones on where you can't hear what's going on around you. When you get on the bus, find a seat where you can put your back to the window and you can see the front door and the back door and everything that's going on on the bus. So you can either sit in the middle with your back up against the window or you can sit all the way in the back so you can see everything going on on the bus. He told me when I'm walking, I can walk. Again, if you want to have your headphones on to make people think you're not listening, that's fine. But you better be listening to every single sound that's going on around you and every so many feet, you know, don't make it too obvious, but every so many feet, turn around. Look at people and their actions. If somebody looks jittery, he was like, usually people do something crazy. Before they do something crazy, they have a tail, a sign, a twitch or something. He said, if you see somebody showing you their sign, cross the street, get out the way, move out the way. If you hear someone arguing, get out the way. And this conversation, I don't know, it might've been 25 minutes. He was definitely giving like sensei, street sensei or something, I don't know. But <laughs> what I will tell you is the foresight he had. By the time I was leaving junior high, my grandmother had been diagnosed with colon cancer. I remember she was well enough to attend my eighth grade promotion ceremony. She was well enough to drive me around that weekend to all the different parties for eighth grade promotion. And before I could even start school in ninth grade, she died. And I had to catch the bus to school every day. There was no more grandma and the Maxima was gonna take me on the days I didn't feel like it. And my uncle, not knowing that, not not even knowing what was to come, knew that I needed the life skills and the street skills that my grandmother and my mother and my aunts and my granddad, they thought they were putting me in a bubble and the bubble was never gonna burst. Um, and I don't know what the, you know, I don't know. They wanted me to just be sheltered in such a way, but they knew I wasn't fully sheltered. And so I think in a strange way, they went overboard to try to make up for a lot of the trauma I experienced. But my uncle knew that that wasn't realistic. He also knew that we didn't live in a bubble neighborhood. In the schools that I was going to, I had to cross through a few different parts of neighborhoods to get to them. And by the time I went to high school, my RTA bus ride was an hour long. I appreciate him for having the foresight to share with me how to navigate certain situations. And I'll tell you now, if I'm walking down the street, I turn around every so many feet. I might have my AirPods in, but usually they're not playing anything. <laughs> and I haven't been on a bus in a very long time, but if I'm on one, I'm sitting with my back to the window or all the way in the back where I can see both exits. His tips work. Trust me and believe me. Some of the things I've seen, I was able to get out of Dodge very quickly because I saw what was going on. I heard what was going on and I was keen and aware on who was crossing my path. And I thank him for that. In December of 2018, my mother died. And at the time that she died, that meant that my uncle was the last sibling left. And I remember him calling me and talking about his life and all the crazy stuff that he had done and how he never imagined, given all of that, 
that he would be the last sibling alive and that was December in January of 2019 my my mother's birthday and my uncle's birthday are both in January they were born 10 years and three days apart um, and they were very close and he missed his two sisters who had passed before my mother but he definitely missed my mother Um, and he would tell me all the time and it was just a hard time Um, she had been gone for about a little over a month and she died overnight unexpectedly so it wasn't like we had this kind of closure if you will and we were all feeling some type of way his birthday was approaching her birthday was approaching and it was going to be a hard time for us emotionally his one of his best friends one of his childhood best friends had bought a house and she was asking him to move her into this house and so that weekend Um, I remember my grandfather calling me because even as I grew to be an adult, uh, we, (laughs) uh, there were certain things that we did that we had, we had an understanding of that no one else had an understanding of. And my grandfather knew that. And so he called me and said, "I, I need you to tell me the truth. Do you know where your uncle is? And in other situations, I may have known where my uncle was and he didn't want me to tell, um, my granddad and I didn't, but the tone of my granddad's voice. Um, let me know that it was serious and so I answered my granddad and I said I don't know where he's at what's going on and my granddad said well he never came to the friend's house to move and he would never you know leave her hanging like that she called me this morning and she wants to know have we heard from him and I keep calling and he's not answering so I call and he's not answering me either and at this point we're all panicking Um, my uncle had uh, another childhood friend um, who they've been thick as thieves all their lives mostly and so my grandfather calls him and my uncle's friend my uncle's male friend tells my grandfather to wait he's gonna go to my uncle's apartment check out see if any of the neighbors have seen him he goes to my uncle's apartment um but my grandfather uh never knowing how to follow instructions does not wait and so they're there together and they find my uncle um in his apartment deceased my uncle who had been sober from hard substances for a considerable time um, a commendable amount of time unfortunately gotten a hold of fentanyl and had experienced a fatal overdose um, which we did not know of course for a few weeks until we got his autopsy my uncle called me uh, the, the Friday before he passed and I didn't answer and I don't remember what I was doing but whatever I was doing, it was not that important. If I had known that was going to be the last time I spoke to him, I would have stopped and picked up the phone or called him back. But what I hear is he was feeling good that day. <laughs> he called everybody, apparently. And um, he was chipper. He was telling people how much he loved them. He was telling folks how excited he was for his birthday. He was telling folks how much he missed his sister. And he left me a voicemail. He left me a voicemail. (laughs) It was quick. They always were. It's so funny because my mother used to leave me like two minute long voicemails. And my uncle's was never any longer than 10 or 20 seconds. (laughs) Hey, it's your uncle. And the funniest part about them is they would leave me voicemails and tell me it was them as one, one as if 
I didn't know their voice at this big age. And two, as if there's no caller ID. But anywho, in my 30s, <laughs> my uncle left me a voicemail. The last one telling me, hey, it's your Uncle Miles. Give me a call back. I love you, girl. And I loved him, too. I loved him, too. Uncle Miles, I love you. Give me a call. Bye.